Hello and welcome to Sustainability Bites in association with Nestle Professional, a podcast which unpicks the key sustainability issues affecting the hospitality and food service sector. My name is Amy Fetzer, Footprint's Head of Research and Analysis, and in each episode I'll be joined by industry experts representing operators and the supply chain to discuss burning issues and to provide insight on solutions to derive concrete action. In this episode, our expert panel from Nestle Professional, Bidfood, Compass and Admins will examine the profound effect the cost of living crisis is having on the hospitality sector and how the industry can respond to build business resilience. The cost of living crisis is often talked about in the context of individuals and families. However, very little light is shed on its effects on the hospitality sector in general, where, despite the vaguest hint of respite in the inflation rates, the rising cost of goods, energy and staff, coupled with reduced consumer spend and footfall, is having a profound impact. How can the industry survive and continue on its journey of sustainable transformation? So we're going to discuss a whole range of topics, the things like how is the cost of living crisis impacting on consumer behaviour across the spectrum of sectors from cost to profit? And what are the successful strategies to staying profitable and sustainable? How are food, energy and staff cost increases impacting on outlet numbers and staffing? And are there any silver linings? What is the impact on menus from price changes to complexity? And does this have any surprising benefits such as reducing food waste? What about sustainable diets? Is this helping or hindering the shift? And could the cost of living crisis be driving sustainable behaviours by changing the return on investment for efficient equipment or practices? Do we need a cost of living package to bring hospitality back from the brink? So there's a lot to discuss. And fortunately for you listeners, we've got the most amazing panel. Let me introduce them. We've got Maura Agnfrithi, Managing Director of BNI at Compass, a contract caterer who serves up food and support to millions every day. We have Katja Simmons, the Managing Director of Nestle Professional, the home of culinary solutions for the food service industry. We have Naz Hack, Head of Corporate Procurement at Bidfood, one of the UK's leading food wholesalers, and Nick Atfield, Director of Hospitality and Retail at Adnams, the brewer, distiller, publican and hotelier. So uh, we've got a lot of expertise in this room and I thought it'd be really good to start by setting the scene and discussing how is the cost of living crisis impacting on consumer behaviour across the spectrum from cost to profit and what are the successful strategies to staying profitable and sustainable. So we want to talk about, you know, are people eating out less? Are they eating out less and spending more or ordering different dishes? What's the impact, you know, on the high street versus the contract caterer and the nuances for the subsectors? So Maura, perhaps we could start and you could give us the view from Compass BNI. You know, what are you seeing happening in your sites? Yeah, so I think um, in the office space, in workplace, um, people are no longer coming into the office five days a week, as, as we all know. And therefore, when they are coming into the office, they're treating it more as an occasion, as an event. So what we're seeing is the same spend levels um, and a higher transaction value as people want to celebrate being together with their colleagues. I think clients are also looking to use food to provide it as a motivator to come into the office, to collaborate and have face-to-face meetings. And then I think in the manufacturing and distribution space, uh, where people have been at work throughout the pandemic um, and continue to be in the workplace five days a week, sometimes more, what we're seeing there through feedback is that value continues to remain very important to them. And and therefore, we find solutions in order to, to meet those needs for those consumers. And Nick, what are you seeing uh, on the high street with your in your pubs and hotels? How is it impacting? Well, Adnams is is quite lucky in a sense that we are firmly rooted in the tourism market. Most of our properties are dotted up and down the Suffolk coast uh, and then up into North Norfolk um, and a few in Essex. So 
we're very much in that tourism market and absolutely people are still wanting to come out and stay with us. However, you are seeing lower footfall um, and, and lower occupancies in self-catering and other um, uh, accommodation areas. That's leading to a footfall uh, that's much lower in F&B. So we are seeing lots of people, lots of full restaurants in the evenings and slightly quieter than we would have hoped for at lunch times. And so what are you doing to lure people back in? How are you kind of changing your offer to you know, with all the cost pressures you have yourselves to get people through the door? In a way, there's there's not as much that we can do to get people through the door. We just remind them that we're here. It's it's much more geared towards how are we changing the operations at lunchtimes um, in particular, how are we uh, repositioning our offers, making them lighter, making them uh, more competitively priced, how are we changing uh, the way that we um, rotor staff uh, to cover with those slightly quieter periods. Um, because we also know, again, fortunately being mainly in tourism destinations, that as soon as we have February half term, as soon as we have Valentine's Day, as soon as we have Mother's Day, now looking forward to Easter, we are going to be full. That's really interesting. Katya, um, from Nestle Professionals' perspective, you've invested very heavily in your plant-based range, and that's been really well received by the industry. Uh, you know, Morgan was talking about how people are having to really up the offer in the office. Are you seeing um, that operators are using sort of really delicious plant-based foods and the sustainable diets and healthier health and well-being as a as a way to attract people into the office you know what are the conversations they're having with you you know absolutely it's actually quite an interesting example of the category that emerged fairly recently and uh, attracted quite a lot of emotions and focus and uh, the best innovators of this world were actually uh, thinking how we can deliver amazing solutions and uh, i think it did go the, the whole category went through the bit of a spike then uh, then plateaued but uh, actually if you see year on year on the long-term trajectory it's still actually growing very strongly it's one of the very few categories that still de- is delivering and expected to deliver double digit growth uh, the quite interesting element of it is it's further transforming into the more veggie solution into more exciting into the transparency of ingredients and this is where quite a lot of innovations are, are coming from and if you see if if we think what consumers Consumers are looking for. Consumers are looking for great value, healthier solutions, but also something that they feel that coming back from the value point, that the money that they're spending is actually worth. It's absolutely worth every single penny and every single moment that they're eating it. So this is where we are working very closely with the operators to make sure that it's not just the ingredient that we provide to the operator, but also the final final solution, final meal, and the whole experience around it is uh, is fully satisfying to, to to the consumers. Because in the end of the day, that's going to be the moment of truth. Am I coming back? Have I, have I liked it? Am I coming back? Am I buying it again? And, and Morag, is that what you're seeing? Are your clients coming to you? They need to use food as a, a way to draw people into the office. Are they saying to you, we want this really healthy offering? Are you finding that you're having to, you know, is that something that you're using to kind of get over these challenges of getting people through the door and getting their spend? Absolutely. And, and research has recently shown um, that Food and beverage is in the top three benefits seen by employees, and our clients recognise that. So what we've seen is a real shift to an increase in subsidised food and beverage offer. And then in, in a number of cases where clients are offering free food and drink, 
in order to draw people back into the office and also concerned about their own employees and therefore that that works really well in terms of the support of welfare during the cost of living crisis as well um, but working really well for, for clients and, and, and employees. I think at the same time though and, and mentioned by Nick and Katia coupled with a real uh, desire from consumers to see an improvement in sustainability and health and well-being as well. So in terms of the offer, the consumers have, have got much more complex uh, requirements and desires nowadays, which for us is really exciting. So sustainability is a real opportunity, you know, getting those uh, delicious uh, items on the menu and making sure that con- that your customers are aware of their health and planetary benefits seems like a good opportunity to kind of get over the hump of getting people in and keeping them in and making them come back again. Um, now, obviously, we're talking a bit about how the cost of living crisis is affecting your customer spend, but of course, it's impacting heavily on your own base costs, your energy costs, your food costs, your staff costs. You know, how is this changing your offer, your, you know, your pricing and your menu complexity? What what are you doing to to tackle, um, you know, all these challenges? More, more ag. Maybe you could start by telling us what you see from a compass perspective. Yes. Well, our biggest two, our highest cost lines are food, and obviously food price inflation. I think as on the BBC News yesterday was still ten point two percent, but running at eighteen percent, and and, I, and I, we're all feeling that even when we go to the supermarket. So for us, that's been um, a huge piece of work in order to mitigate as much of that as possible for the consumer. Um, so taking actions around reducing food waste, which is also supporting us in our journey to net zero by 2030. And, and in my business, we've reduced food waste by 40% uh, since 2019. Um, that's great for the planet, but it's also um, helpful for the consumer that we can try and mitigate some of that food price inflation. I think also, you know, working to make switches on some products. Um, so that where we are seeing you know, significant inflation on one product, if we've got an opportunity to switch it out for something else, then we've done that. And to consolidate some of the core products that we're using in order to get economies of scale, all with an aim to retain great quality, but actually mitigate as much inflation as we can. And I think in, in our world, um, the clients and the, the employers ultimately have been absolutely amazing um, in absorbing some of those cost increases to the, client, uh, to the consumers in workplace. And they've taken some of that inflation themselves in order to protect their own employees, which I think is absolutely fantastic. And Naz, taking the kind of supply chain perspective, obviously you're having these massive cost price increases. You know, I know in the past when we've talked about uh, how sustainable sustainability uh, can increase costs for producers and that there's been a willingness to kind of share that cost across the supply chain. So now when you're having all these food price increases, you know, how is that impacting how you engage with the industry? And, you know, are you looking at food waste within your own supply chain, for example, to, to mitigate it? Or, you know, what's this, what's what's happening where you're sat? Um, well, it has been an exceptional few years um, with regard to food inflation. And, I think one of the key things that we need to bear in mind is obviously, you know, having a sustainable supply chain um, because ultimately we have customers um, that we need to supply and, you know, we supply government contracts, as you know, um, schools, hospitals and the Ministry of Justice. So it's absolutely key um, that the the supply chain is sustainable. Um, It has been really challenging for suppliers, um, I think, in terms of there have been so many different factors that have been affecting food prices from, obviously, energy 
um, price rises, increases in production costs. I think manufacturers have really also struggled with uh, machinery in production um, and not having uh, well the lead times on actually getting parts repaired. So this has actually had a bit of a backlog um, with suppliers in terms of production, which has then affected supply. Um, it's just been a perfect storm of various factors um, in terms of increased production costs, increased operating costs, um, wages, so staff wages. And so all of these have contributed um, to increases in prices across all categories, really. Um, so it has been an exceptional time. And then obviously you've got factors of disease, such as avian flu, um, which has impacted particular categories. And then the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine, which had huge impacts on fish, for example, and wheat prices. Um, so it has been a really, really challenging time. And I think for us as a business, uh, We've really looked to support our customers. I think communication is key um, and actually you know, communicating this to our customers, but supporting them um, throughout this process, because it is a really challenging time um, for everybody in the industry. So it has a knock on effect from wholesalers to um, our customers to then consumers. And it's actually about sort of communicating all the way along that chain and providing support. And as Morag said, you know, we will work with customers to have a look at how we can mitigate their cost increases. Um, and that could be you know, looking at range consolidation, um, looking at alternative products. And I think one thing that operators need, really need to be mindful of as well, it's a fine balance of um, when you're looking at reducing costs on your menu is to not compromise quality at the same time um, because as we know customers and consumers are looking for value for money and quality is, forms part of that as well um, but there are lots and lots of more cost effective alternative products that don't compromise on quality out there and it's really important for us to support our customers by identifying those on their behalf um, to help them maintain their costs. And are you seeing any kind of changes in the, you know, is it is it helping to address some of the sort of waste in the system? Like are people factoring in some more flexibility so they can use surpluses or more, you know, or, or allow different products to stand in so that they can make sure that they can get those, you know, cheaper, short dated things? Or, you know, is there is there any changes that you're seeing? Or, you know, are they talking to you about, you talked about reducing the number of SKUs, which usually has a beneficial impact on food waste as well. You know, are people kind of, getting you to help them reduce their menu complexity and then noticing that that's helping, uh, you know, having silver linings of benefits uh, in other ways, perhaps? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what we're finding is that you know, people are, um, operators are really sweating the ingredients. And um, I had a really interesting session, actually, with Campbell South, our meat business in the South. And um, it was a session with Marco Pierre White. And this was all about how we can support um, operators and looking at different ingredients and um, and we actually used a burger as an example and he was saying well, you know you don't need anything bigger um, than a five ounce burger as an example and it's actually about how you then build that dish um, and use that ingredient so that one ingredient across multiple dishes so from that he made um, a brilliant brunch um, a lunch and then a dinner offering as well and presented in different ways but actually what you're doing is using the main core component ingredient and then building it up and I think again so when we're talking about value for money what some operators have done is increased portion sized 
Um, but there are other ways and actually having a think about, okay, how can I do this without increasing my portion size? And that's building up the plate um, using lower cost ingredients, but actually the perception, the visual perception is an enhanced level of value for money. And I think that's a really good way for operators to then have a relatively low cost plate of food that they are then able to make um, a decent profit margin on. That is a really good point because one of the, um, the, you know, they're trying to get that value for money and increasing the portion size, you know, is then potentially fueling food waste. I mean, Nick, are you finding this in in your um, sites that you're really struggling between to, to weigh the two up of how getting to get people in create value but not uh, create food waste? Yeah, yeah. At the moment, I think that uh, the key word is being nimble, um, and we are adapting menus on an almost daily basis and we're in a very fortunate position that we can do that. Um, and we've got a, a strong central team who are, are sort of um, pouring over invoices on a daily basis to work out what we should be doing. So absolutely, we, I mean, we, we're we still very much in the treat market. So you will find eight-ounce steaks on our menus because that's a big part of what we do. However, there's absolutely a move away from how can, or, or a move to how we can shrink the sizes of um, animal and fish protein that we have on the plate and and actually engaging with chefs who are now finding it really fun and really interesting, playing much more with vegetables, being creative. Um, five or six years ago, chefs moaned about vegetarians and having to come up with interesting dishes. Now, they're really embracing it and finding it a really creative, interesting way um, to boost their job uh, and their interest in the job as well, as well as helping um, uh, with with cost control um wastage again because we're quite a small um uh, division we, we only operate 12 sites directly ourselves we've always been quite good on that the other thing that we've done a lot of work on over the last few months is really looking at the way that we cook things um and in the same way that everybody's bought air fryers at home and embraced slow cookers uh, we've looked at our kitchens and are now thinking, well, how efficiently can we make these dishes? How efficiently can we reheat these things? Do we need stock pots bubbling away all afternoon? Is it best to do slow braise, uh, braises in bulk or is it better to um, uh, flash cook things at, at, at the end um, of things? So we, we're absolutely looking at the whole operation to find as many efficiencies as we can. I was just going to say, having a look at also you know, frozen or alternatives to um, when you are looking at produce have a look at frozen options you get obviously extended shelf life you're just taking out what you need and less wastage um, so we have seen a move towards um, more frozen options um, as a view as a way of reducing wastage that's really interesting and i and going back to nick's point on the equipment and using equipment more carefully more thoughtfully choosing uh, equipment has multifunctionality so that you uh, can be very specific in that energy use just to heat up that one dish or those those few items you know are you um noticing you know you touched on it as well Naz the the kind of equipment issue you know are, are people noticing that the energy price increases are having a big impact because they're reducing that return on investment on more efficient equipment uh, Morag do you have any examples of that perhaps in practice 
Yeah, I mean, well, we've got clients who, um, because obviously we operate in a client in client environments in the main. So where we've got clients who are investing in their infrastructure, we will work with them, and we are working with them on improving um, the equipment range. So going for grade A equipment, which of course reduces utility um, bills. They're very efficient, um, and they're often, you know, the, the chefs love them as well because they're often, you know, they work much better anyway. So yeah, we're doing a lot of that, and that is part again of of our carbon footprint measuring um, within our business to hit that 2030 target. So that's fundamental um, in the way that we design our menus around that kit as well. And less is more. And in fact, you know, the, the days of the large kitchens, the industrial kitchens, has gone. Um, real estate is expensive, so we tend to now have kitchens which are much smaller, and therefore you need uh, multi-use equipment, I think, to um, to Nick and Naz's point. Mm. And I think also what we've seen is a trend towards, um, so operations actually putting, sort of using the operational efficiencies and operating as dark kitchens, so out of the sites, you know, actually tapping into a, an additional market to boost their sales. Um, and then what we're also finding, because bricks and mortar is expensive and you've got business rates, so a lot of operators are actually testing their brands out in the market via dark kitchens before then investing and going to launch um, in an actual establishment. So there are lots of different ways in which operators, I think, have changed the way in which they work um, to become more agile in the market. That's absolutely fascinating. And it shows how how these uh, these external macro pressures are changing the whole the landscape of hospitality and food service. Um, we, we talked a little bit earlier about the sustainable diets piece. Um, but one thing I think that's quite interesting is that a lot of these uh, wonderful new products that are coming out onto the market have taken an enormous amount of time and research and development to create them. Um, so how is that kind of, you know, are cost increases impacting on the uptake, uptake of sustainable options and dishes? You know, what, what are you seeing, Katya, um, from a Nestle perspective? I mean, generally, I probably, before even uh, the move towards sustainable dieting is much broader. It's not just, I'm sure we all understand, it's not just vegetables. It's uh, vegetables, it's a critical part of it. But it's also, it's the balanced diet overall. It's how do we drive the... The, the overall health of our consumers, which actually takes into account um, all the meals throughout the day and the quality of the meals and how balanced they are. So yes, and absolutely, the amount of innovation from our side that went uh, and is going behind understanding how the product is impacting and what role does it play in terms of the balanced diet, because it's not an individual meal that we are focusing on, it's what the role that meal plays into the balanced diet. And I think that the progress that the scientists have made in the in, in to what balanced diet is, if you look 20 years ago, your perception, your individual even perception, what balanced diet was is very different to where it is now. We 20 years ago we were all were talking about the zero fat. Now it's all very well known. It's 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 definitely not what you you need to be doing. So this is this is what we are looking, uh, what we are looking at. But also from if I looked from kind of um, from a product perspective into our manufacturing and how do we make sure that we uh, we look at the efficiencies on our side and we run our operation at the most efficient uh, and effective way. So we minimize the, the, the passing, the cost increases that we are seeing across the board to, the, to, uh, to our operators and to ultimately into the consumers. 
And then combined with the sustainability, are we making more sustainable solutions? And are they more innovative? Are they are these solutions fit well into the balanced diets and drive this uh, healthier nation overall? Uh, this is where it's the criticality because you, from my, one perspective, you may think or that look at it, it's cost on top of cost on top of cost on top of cost. But actually, if you look at it holistically and not as in the individual parts, then you can optimize and you can look at the what we would say as the lean value stream as what's what's your as is, what's your to be the picture of success, and how do I actually make the whole process much more efficient and and only in this case we can make a step change in our operations and I very much believe and it's not about the incremental minor steps sometimes you really need to make a big leap and then really go behind this and these bigger leaps are the ones who are making from the uh, from a product development perspective but also the from a uh, manufacturing and uh, uh, efficiencies perspective they're really making the big differences so it sounds like although you're having to absorb all these costs you're managing to still bring the product to market in a way that is that that is is cost efficient for your clients and customers and and it is enabling them to still put it out on the counter at a price that customers are still willing to pay. That's really great to hear. Um I think what was also quite interesting is uh, and, and Nick you alluded to this earlier about um some of the more carbon intensive items such as meat. Um are you know very very expensive and that you're obviously you're very aware that that's a core part of your offering but you're still looking at uh portion sizing and and looking at ways to to help reduce that very expensive um item on the menu you know Naz, are, are you seeing people kind of you mentioned the shift towards maybe looking at frozen and other products but you mentioned all the challenges in the in the kind of meat and poultry sector uh, are you finding that people are coming to you asking for different types of cuts? Are they asking for smaller cuts? You know, what, what, how are you seeing it change the, the dynamics? Um, yeah, absolutely. I think we're seeing differences in um, people moving to different species, um, for example, and that could be within the same category. So looking at a different species of fish, um, it could be that they're moving to a completely different protein as well. So it's actually about sort of, and it's about communicating with our customers, you know, what some of the challenges are in the market, but actually then working out what the solutions are for them. And I think it's really important for us as a business that, you know, it's not a sort of a one size fits all. We really do work very closely with our customers um, to make sure that it's actually going to work for their operation. Um, and it could be, as I said, looking at different sizes. Um, it could be reviewing different species of protein, or it could be moving to an alternative, um, a completely different alternative, for example. Um, so there are lots of different ways. We've got a fantastic tool actually called Unlock Your Menu, uh, which our chefs worked on. And that was specifically designed to support um, our customers with having a look at um, alternative ways in which they can um, manage some of the challenges within the market, whether that's product facing or whether it's um, you know overall looking at their menus. And then we've also got a tool Called, sounds like I'm, <laughs> I'm working for marketing for Fifi, but I'm not. But, um, there's a recipe planner that we also have, which again is really, really helpful. And that's more to do with managing costs because you can literally, once um, a menu has been created, you can tap in and out of different products and see what impact that actually has on the cost of 
um, your plate of food. So it's just a really good way of playing around with different things to see what's going to benefit you as a business. We touched on the quality issue earlier that obviously you still customers still expect a very quality plate of food. When people are playing around with swapping ingredients, are you noticing that sometimes they're 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 therefore allowing a a, a lesser perhaps welfare product through or an item that doesn't have a certain type of certification which would guarantee a certain environmental standard you know are you are you noticing any changes in certification and and response to other kind of environmental credentials of products are people still prioritizing that yeah it's still very important to customers and um you do have, you know, when you're moving cross species, I'll take fish as an example, you still, you could move to a different species, which is still MSC certified, for example. Uh, but you have uh, red tractor products within our range as well. Um, so, no, I don't think that it does necessarily diminish um, the welfare. And then, you know, when you have a look at, you know, I'll take mayonnaise as an example, you, you could move from a brand leading mayonnaise um, to an own brand product and actually they're still both made with free range egg yolk for example um you know so they still have the same sustainability credentials as a branded product um and this is quite clearly communicated as well so i don't think i think customers you know they will know what their priorities are and if um, msc and red tracks are really important to them you know they will continue to find alternatives um, for some customers, you know, that isn't a focus. So it really depends on what the customer's needs are and requirements. Mm, mm, that's very interesting. So one thing that we've touched upon uh, across a lot of the questions here is the impact of some of these things are having on staff. You've talked about reducing uh, staff hours, you know, there's reduced diner numbers at certain times. Um, you know, so what is what are the impacts of all of this on the workforce? Because obviously, often a lot of those people might be in the lower uh, paid end of the spectrum, and, and many of them are really suffering from the cost of living crisis themselves. So, you know, Morgan, perhaps you could start by telling us, you know, what, what are you seeing? You know, how are these cost impacts in pl- having an impact on staff you know what are the what are the positives and what are the benefits um, the negatives because of course I, I'm sure there will be both it's, uh, for example my interactions with the industry quite a few people have told me that because they've ended up closing um, sites for certain services it's actually given their staff a much better overall quality of life because they have a lot more balance you know are you seeing some of these benefits as well and you know how are you managing to trade that off by by as well as still giving people you know enough of an income yeah well I think actually we've not um seen and we've not had to make a huge amount of um changes to our labor structure in terms of the amount of hours that we employ across the business, what we have done is we've redeployed. So, of course, in the office, it's become super, super busy Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays. Um, So people who historically may have worked on a Monday may be putting additional hours in in the middle of the week. So they're still getting their, their weekly hours, but just in a different way. Or actually, we're doing job shares. Um, or, or we're cross-training so that people are getting multiple skills and therefore they can they can still maintain the, the, the income that they need to. I think, you know, the cost of living crisis is very challenging for those people who are on minimum wage or uh, on a, a lower earning bracket. Um, and, and therefore, a lot of organisations, a lot of our clients and ourselves at Compass Group have put a, you know, put a number of welfare um, platforms in there to support our employees, be it... Um, a lower cost loan 
um, small loans that don't have to be or small donations that don't have to be paid back. Perks at work, which is hugely popular, means that people can get discount on their weekly shops. Um, and then also just making sure that we check in on the welfare piece, because actually... Um, we've not really touched on that so far, but the cost of living crisis has, has, can have a huge impact on some individuals and therefore caring for those people in our workplaces are really important. I think without exception, I know that all of the organisations on here on this podcast have put some amazing steps in to protect their employees and give them an opportunity to, um, to shout out if they've got concerns. But actually, the positive of all of this is that I think what we see in our employees in Compass Group, they're becoming more adventurous about the job roles that they do. They are willing to job share and do other jobs in addition to the norm. And I think that's great for people's career prospects. I think the other piece is there's still a shortage of labour. So there are plenty of vacancies out there for people to pick up. So I think in terms of the ability to get a job, the opportunities are still out there in the hospitality industry. And are you noticing that sort of um, we talked a lot about reduced complexity of menus alongside the kind of increased creativity from from some for some elements of the menu. So are you noticing that that's sort of also um, helping with staff in sort of two different ways? One, that you're kind of people need less, less training sometimes when there's less complex menus, but also on the other hand, people are being more inspired by the creativity that they're being able to, to demonstrate across other areas of the um, sector so that, that people are therefore because obviously drawing people back after COVID has been a bit of a challenge in some sectors. So are you finding that you're you're using these these things to help uh, attract and recruit and retain? Yeah, I mean, I think from a consumer standpoint, and I know Naz mentioned it, quality expectations are still very, very high. And I haven't come across any consumers that are willing to sacrifice quality, um, despite the fact there are cost pressures um, and they probably want to pay less. So for us, it's important that whatever we do with our menu and our recipes, the quality remains extremely high. I think what we are seeing is I'm not sure that in our in our world um, that it's it's hugely simplified, but only in so much of the ingredients that we're using potentially. But actually, it's it's a really exciting time. So we're playing around a lot with uh, the reduction of red meat in some dishes. So a burger is a really good example where we've now moved. We're moving towards a 50-50 burger, 50% red meat. 50% 50% mushroom because it halves the carbon footprint. It's healthier. The product quality is amazing, absolutely amazing. In fact, I was giving it to some farmers, some beef farmers the other day, and the feedback was fantastic. For our employees, that's quite exciting for them. They find that super interesting. Um, and I think that the view from certainly people in our kitchens and our chefs is that this is a really exciting time to be in food production because there are no boundaries in what we can do to challenge the cost of what we're producing, keep the cost down for the consumer, but also reduce our carbon footprint because we have a duty to do that for future generations. That's really exciting to hear. Nick, are you noticing the same uh, response from your employees? Are they, are they the fact that Adnams has such a strong sustainability strategy? Is that really helping to inspire and, and um, engage? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just want to take a step back, if I may, as well, first, and say actually some really welcome changes to the way that our kitchens uh, and our industry is now being perceived as well. It's, it's, there's much more equality in kitchens. They're much more democratic places to be. Uh, we, we've stripped out layers of hierarchy. Gone are the days where you had 
uh, KPs becoming assistants um, and commies um, and working their way up. We've got a much more democratic kitchen because actually we need people to be able to move around. We need people to be able to engage in, in every level of, of the processes that are going on in the kitchen. And with smaller teams, that's so much more important than, than these traditional structures. So that sort of um, democratic, much more equal footing that we have in kitchens absolutely means that everyone can get involved in menu development so it is an interesting time and, and seeing some of my sort of my old guard chefs who who were the ones that frowned at vegetarians and vegans a few years ago now being so excited because there's a new arm there's a new element to what they are doing and what they're learning about later on in their careers that's fantastic we've covered a lot um perhaps we could finish if everyone could give us my uh, just one sort of tip of how sustainability or some element of sustainability can help uh the hospitality and food service industry you know survive this cost of living crisis with all these different cost pressures naz perhaps you could start um, I think there are there are more than one. There's more than one way that we can do this, um, and I think it's about working together actually and finding those solutions. And I think that's the most exciting thing about the industry. There's a lot of collaboration um, out there at the moment, and um, it's yeah, there are lots of opportunities out there that we just need to maximise and be adventurous and be innovative um, in the ways that we're doing it. Fantastic, Katja. What's your top tip for using sustainability to ride out the cost of living crisis? The way I probably would see it is we shouldn't shy away and we should almost take on the challenge and pioneer and be really uh, vocal about all the good things that we do. And I think we were going to be less seeing just uh, this is somewhere that I can cut money. This is something that is doing good. It's, it's really, it's innovative, very proactive industry. And I think it will have hollow effect on different sectors in the industry. So my, my advice would be unapologetically, let's go for it. <laughs> Fantastic. More ag. I'll be quite specific and say cut food waste, cut food waste at home, cut food waste in, in the workplace. Food waste contributes to 10% of the world's carbon emissions. And just to put that into context, aviation is 2%. And I don't think we hear enough talk about cutting food waste. So it saves money if you cut your food waste, both at home and in, in the workplace, but it also is going to help save the planet. So that's a really good starter um, when we all go home today. Fantastic. I love it. I'm a big advocate of tackling food waste. And Nick, uh, final, uh, really concrete uh, one from you as well, if you can. Well, I, I was going to say, and I suppose this is more for the for the smaller operators out there in the kitchens, which is keep sustainability at the heart of your culture of everything that you're doing. And, and for me, actually, it's about making daily changes, little tweaks, little improvements every single day. How can I do this a little bit better and actually, over the months and over the years, that'll add up to um, a really positive impact and a really positive impact on, on finances as well and that bottom line profit. Brilliant. Thank you. So we've covered a lot. We've talked about how customer patterns are changing, what they're buying, but the industry is reacting very strongly to make those quality, delicious, often kind of health and well-being focused products to draw people back in. It's being, uh, food is being very much used by the, the the, the economy to bring people back into offices and into the workplace and the important role that operators play in doing that and by creating these delicious uh, creative offerings um 
food service is able to continue to kind of keep itself uh, getting those numbers through the door and making the, the the bottom line work. We've talked a bit about food waste, the importance of making sure that none of that food that you're paying all those costs for and has all those big carbon impacts are wasted. We've also talked about the way creative menus like less complexity uh, tackles waste, but also reduces the number of SKUs and that helps with costs. Um, and also the, the NASA's good point about moving to frozen. There's all sorts of different creative ways that people can cut costs on their menus whilst cl- creating delicious, uh, nutritious offerings that draw people in. Uh, we've talked a little bit on equipment and how looking at uh, more efficient equipment and more flexible equipment can also help uh, tackle all the cost impacts. And of course, importantly, we discussed the impacts it's having on staff, some of the positives in terms of giving them better life balance if shifts are reduced, um, but also how people are looking very carefully at making sure that they're still earning enough to meet their own basic needs and cope with the challenges that they're experiencing. So we've covered a lot, lots of really good nuggets of tangible action there too. So it just goes for me now to say thank you all for your amazing insights today. We've really appreciated it. Uh, thank you very much to Maura Grithi from Compass, Katya Simmons from Nestle Professional, Naz Hack from Bid Food and Nick Atfield from Admins. And of course, our massive thanks to Nestle Professional for supporting the Sustainability Bite series of podcasts. Without them, it wouldn't be possible. So we really appreciate it. Thank you very much.